Afternoon, everyone. Oh, some people even said my name. That's great. I wondered if you'd forgotten since the last. It's, um, it's a real privilege to be with you guys this afternoon, especially on New Year's Day. And what a wonderful passage we have to work through. So let's get into it. What do you like at waiting? For me, it depends a little bit about what I'm waiting for. When I find myself at the dentist in the waiting room, and I start to think about all the ways that I've neglected my teeth over the last few years. For me, that's a scared wait. Uh, when I've been working hard and holidays are just around the corner, I'm excited. When I was standing at the altar and waiting for what felt like an eternity for my wife to come up and join me, that was a nervous wait. Today, as we get into the second half of Luke chapter 2, we meet Simeon and Anna. And they're both waiting for something. Verse 25, if you've got your Bibles, have a look. Simeon's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 38, Anna's looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And they've been waiting a long time for this. They're both well on in years. Verse 26, we hear Simeon is ready to die. And verse 36, we learn Anna is 84, which in first century Israelite terms, that's ancient, right? But despite this long wait, they're not scared, they're not nervous, their waiting is hopeful and it's confident. It's driven by a deep conviction which shapes everything they do. And we're going to see why as we work through our passage. So let's get into it. Simeon and Anna's long-awaited hope. Well, we pick up the story, end of Luke chapter 2. It's about 40 days after Jesus was born. And verse 22, we see Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus on a road trip. They're heading to Jerusalem to visit the temple. In many ways, uh, this is an ordinary journey. It's the kind of one that any uh, faithful good Jew would do. It was to satisfy the Israelite laws. Uh, So for Mary, after giving birth, it was so she could be ceremonially purified. And for Jesus as the firstborn, uh, they were to present him to God. But what happens when they enter the temple is anything but ordinary. Before we see those events unfold, uh, we get introduced to Simeon and we learn a bit about him. We see he's an impressive guy. At verse 25, we learn three things about him. Firstly, he's righteous and devout. That's not saying he's perfect, but he's somebody who faithfully keeps God's laws as an expression of his devotion to God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is on him. And at this point in God's salvation history, for Simeon to have the Holy Spirit, it shows that God is using him for a very special, specific purpose. And so today when we hear Simeon speak, we're hearing God's take on what's going on. And thirdly, as we've already seen, Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. When you hear consolation, what kind of things come to your mind? For me, I tend to go to sports, you know, like you're playing a big game and you don't win, but they, instead of getting that big cup, you get this little consolation prize. That's where I go, but that's, that's not the kind of consolation that we see today. Because sometimes a consolation it can be a comfort you get uh, at a particular time of hardship or turmoil. 
That's the kind of consolation that Simeon is waiting for. Israel, they're right in the middle of a great trial. For the last 400 years or so, uh, things have just been a mess for them. They've been tossed around from empire to empire, from the Persians to the Greeks, and now the Romans, who are as bad, if not worse, than all of them. Uh, For instance, uh, when Rome, when they took over around 63 BC, their soldiers entered the temples, the Jewish temples, and while the priests were doing their normal duties, they all just got slaughtered. And 60 years down the track now to, to where this story's set, and things haven't gotten any better under Rome. King Herod, he's ruling over Judea, and this bloke is a total brute. He's the guy who made a decision to kill baby boys in Bethlehem who were two years and under. Israel is enduring a great hardship at this time. But God's promised them a consolation. And this is what Simeon is waiting for. Well, from verse 26, we start to get a clearer picture of what this consolation is. Have a look, 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. At the centre of this consolation is the Lord's Messiah. You see, as a faithful Jew, Simeon knew his scripture. He knew the prophecies from places like 2 Samuel 7, from Psalm chapter 2. He knew that God had promised an anointed Messiah, as someone who would come, redeem his people, and rule over them for eternity, a great nation that God would bless. And this is a comfort that Simeon is waiting for, One that'll make the 400 years of turmoil seem like the distant past. And what's more, as we read on in verse 26, God had revealed to Simeon that he would see this Messiah in his lifetime. So what did Simeon do? He waited. And that's the first thing we need to know about Simeon. He is a wonderful example to us of someone who hears God's promises And because he trusts God, he waits. But it must have been hard for Simeon. You can imagine being in his shoes. 400 years, his people have been waiting. And even in Simeon's lifetime, he would have seen fellow Jews who had decided just to make the most of their situation under Rome. You know, either they capitulate to the Roman rule or they decide to flee, go to a new land. But not Simeon, he waits. He waits for his sovereign God to send his Messiah. And as our story plays out, we see God does not put Simeon to shame. Well, the focus shifts now, and we see Mary and Joseph holding Jesus, and they enter the temple. And Simeon, moved by the Holy Spirit, he joins them. And when he sees Jesus, he takes him in his arms, and praising God, he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord... As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon joyfully declares, I can die in peace now. And as he continues speaking, he explains why. End of verse 27. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon's whole life has been directed to one goal. The coming of the Lord's Messiah. 400 years of waiting for his people, a lifetime for Simeon. But now in this very moment, 
Simeon is holding in his hands the Lord's Messiah, the one who would bring salvation to his people. Can you imagine? What a wonderful moment that must have been for him. But Simeon's not done yet. And as he continues to prophesy, we hear that this isn't just good news for Simeon or for the Israelites. Jesus is good news for the world. At the end of verse 29, Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. It's a beautiful image here. Jesus, he's first and foremost the glory of Israel, but he's a light to the whole world. This imagery of light, we see it drawn from the Old Testament. Places like Isaiah in chapter 59, we hear these words. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. This pictures a spiritual blindness, one caused by a world that's cut themselves off from God in their desire to do life on their own terms rather than his. And every generation, they've got their own way of doing this. Uh, take, for instance, my generation. People sometimes call us the expressive individuals. You know that idea that you must be true to who you are. The underlying assumption is that as the individual, uh, I am the best starting place to navigate life. And so to have meaning, all I need to do is look inside myself, you know, find out what's authentic to me, my preferences, my likes and dislikes. And once I've found that, I've got the key to life. And I just I pursue it, no matter what the cost. But what we see in Scripture is Looking inside yourself for life as a starting point, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. As Jesus taught us in chapter 7 of Mark, the human heart's not where we find life. It's a place we find evil desires, like sexual immorality, greed, malice, deceit, envy. The list keeps going. That's my generation. But of course, each generation has their own way of doing this, don't they? different ways of cutting themselves off from God and pursuing this world for selfish gain. But in Isaiah, we see God promised he wouldn't leave this world in darkness. Isaiah chapter 60, we hear these words. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the people's. But the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. God promised his glory would come, and it would bring light to a darkened world. And as Simeon is holding Jesus in his hands, he's declaring this is the glorious light. He's the saviour of the world, the one who will bring people out of darkness and into glorious relationship with the Heavenly Father. But as we keep reading through the passage, it's clear that although Jesus is the consolation for all people in the world, he won't be everybody's comfort. In verse 34, Simeon turns to Mary, and the mood shifts a bit here. He says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. They're confronting words. Jesus, he's not just someone who raises people up. 
He's someone who brings their downfall on. In verse 34, Jesus is a sign, a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We see through Jesus, uh, people's hearts towards God are ultimately revealed. If you go to a footy game, you can figure out pretty quickly uh, who somebody's supporting. You know, when your own team gets the ball, you cheer, you raise your fist. But when the other team gets the ball, you boo, you hiss. Well, uh, I'm from Adelaide. That's how we do things in Adelaide. But, you know, you guys might be more refined. But the point is, their response, it reveals their heart. And in the same way, people's behavior towards Jesus it reveals their heart towards God. So I think about my friends who don't yet follow Jesus. When the topic of Jesus comes up, they can respond in a range of different ways. For some, it's violent opposition. For others, they're genuinely interest, interested. And for some, you know, they're just waiting for the conversation to finish. It's a bit awkward for them. And because of that, I can start to think, oh, maybe God could treat these people differently. But that's not what we're seeing, is it? That's not the case. What we see is that Jesus, he forces people to make a decision. He's the cause of people's rise and their fall. Because ultimately, the way you treat Jesus, it reveals your heart towards God. Either you're for him or against him. And as we read on, we see that this is true even for Jesus' own mum. And in verse 35, we hear these words from Simeon. They're quite intriguing. He says, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon here foretells the pain and grief that Mary is going to have to go through as she wrestles with who her son is and what he's come to do. And as we read on in the following passage, we get a little foretaste of this. Uh, There's the 12-year-old Jesus at the time, so 12 years on from our story. And Mary and Joseph, they spent three days looking for him. Eventually they find him in the temple. And Mary says to Jesus, what were you doing? But Jesus tells her, this is necessary. I had to be in my father's house. Ultimately, we see Mary have to wrestle with who Jesus is as she witnesses him willingly go to the cross willingly let people crucify him on the cross for the sins of the world. All people have to come to grips with who Jesus is, even his mum. You either reject Jesus, you reveal your heart towards God and it leads to a fall, or you trust him as your saviour and he becomes your great comfort and joy. And as we've seen with Simeon, he is a great example of the latter. His whole life, he waits for this consolation of Israel. As he holds Jesus in his arms, he rejoices to his heavenly Father. He rejoices in his Saviour. Well, in our story now, we turn to Anna, 84-year-old Anna. And just like Simeon, when she sees Jesus, she rejoices. Have a look, verse 38. Come out to them at this very moment. She gave thanks to God. And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna here joyfully responds to her Saviour in two ways. Firstly, like Simeon, she gives thanks to God. And as Paul tells us, thankfulness 
It's always the right response when it comes uh, to Jesus, your Savior. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. God's desire is for all who have been saved by Jesus uh, to respond with thankfulness, respond with thankful lives. And it's one that is first and foremost directed towards God, uh, but it's also one that spills out into all our relationships. Have another look at Anna and what her responses are. So firstly, she gives thanks to God. What does she do next? Verse 38, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Simeon held his saviour, he said, I'm ready to die. But now Anna, 84-year-old Anna, she just bubbles with life. She's so thankful she can't keep it to herself. And she tells everyone she can, Jesus, the Redeemer, has come. Well, in the temple today, we've seen some incredible moments. And for Simeon and Anna, their wait is over. As they've encountered this 40-day-old Jesus, they've seen their saviour, their great consolation. And so they rejoiced. It's a wonderful moment in God's unfolding plans of salvation. But I doubt even Simeon or Anna knew exactly how this salvation would unfold, how Jesus would win salvation through his life, death and resurrection, how in this room would be believers uh, from all different walks of life, uh, people who are God's people, forgiven, dearly loved, holy. And yet even though today we can look back and see how all God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus, like Simeon and Anna, we're still waiting in hope. In 1 Peter, our hope's described like this. 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This world's not our home. God is keeping an inheritance in heaven for his people. In the new creation, one where there'll be no more tears, no more grief, one where we'll have overflowing praise for God all the time, deep love for each other. This is our great consolation and it's one that will, will be fully realised when Jesus comes back. And we need to keep letting this long-term hope shape everything we, need, we do now. We need to keep waiting well for Jesus. And so that's how we're going to finish our time now. How do we wait well for Jesus? Well, firstly, we wait expectantly just like Simeon and Anna waited expectantly. It's not a kind of passive waiting, you know, if, like if you catch the train to work or something and you look around and everyone just looks totally dead, you know, they've got their iPhones, they're motionless. It's, that's not what we do when we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Waiting for Jesus, it shapes everything we do now. A couple of Christmases back, we're having lunch at my in-law's house 
And we were talking to my daughter Daisy. Uh, she was around three at the time. And we we're telling her about Christmas. It's kind of like Jesus' birthday. And so right now, this is his party. And Daisy, she was three, but she was still pretty sharp. You know, so she thought it was a little unusual that Jesus wasn't at his party. So she asked us, you know, when's Jesus coming? We, we tell her, we don't know when he's coming back, but it could be any day now. So she sits there for a moment. She takes us in. Then she looks up and says to us, I'll save some lunch for him. That's waiting expectantly, isn't it? Anticipating Jesus' return and letting it shape everything you do now. How do we wait expectantly for Jesus? Well, Paul gives us a great example in 1 Thessalonians. He tells us how the Thessalonians were waiting for Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. How do we wait like the Thessalonians? Well, firstly, we turn from idols. We're not people who live in darkness anymore, cut off from God. So we turn from that way of living, thinking that this world is all there is, greedily grabbing at what we can. We turn from idols, and then we turn to God to serve our true and living God. And we let his priorities shape our priorities every day. We keep waiting expectantly for Jesus. Second, second way that we wait well, we hold on to Jesus as our great consolation. I'm sure for many people here, 20, last year was a hard year, and no one knows what the next year is going to be like. But whatever happens, how is Jesus as your great consolation are going to shape everything you do? I'm thankful for my wife, Maddie, who often refocuses me on God's promises in Christ. A few years ago when I was working as a lawyer back in Adelaide, I was going through a hard time. The work was frustrating, the people were challenging, and every day just felt like a real grind. One morning, I think, I think Maddie might have picked up I was a bit grouchy around the house or something, so she thought, you know, that's enough. So one morning, uh, Maddie gave me a couple of gifts. The first... There were two pictures. Uh, these are from our wedding day, uh, just to remind me of a better time, of a happy moment. And so I put those on my desk. And when I was feeling frustrated, uh, that was a real comfort. Uh, but the second present she gave me, which was a much greater comfort, it wasn't as pretty, but as much greater comfort. Um, it's kind of like this card. This has been in my pocket all day, so it's a bit, bit gross, but. Uh, she gave me a series of cards, and on each card, uh, she'd written down a different passage from God's Word, a passage that reminded me of God's goodness and His promises in Christ. Uh, passages like Lamentations 3. In this book, God's people, they're going through a hard time, but right in the middle of these words, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of, the God's, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Looking at passages like this every morning as I started work, 
Uh, it reminded me to embrace Jesus as my great consolation. Uh, to remember that through him, God's poured out his mercy on me. And so to keep waiting well for him to come back. Keep holding on to Jesus as your great consolation. Uh, the third way that we wait well, we remember Jesus is the key to life. In Jesus, we've seen today, we have wonderful news of salvation. He is light for a world in darkness. And every day, we still rub shoulders with people who are in this darkness, people who desperately need to know Jesus. You know, friends, family, colleagues, parents, even your local barista. A little while ago, I was with a friend at a cafe, and he noticed uh, that the lady serving us, she had these little uh, cross-shaped earrings. So he just said to her, I like your earrings. And that was all it took. Uh, from there, she shared about her Catholic upbringing, her experiences with different religions. And it gave my friend an opportunity to share the hope in Christ that he has. It was gold, you know, all from just saying, I like your earrings. We each have wonderful news. And we, we have a hope that fills our life with joy. And we each have the chance to share this with others. It doesn't mean everyone will accept Jesus. As we've seen today, he'll cause, he'll cause the, the fall and the rise of people. But the only way we find out is by sharing him with people. Remember, Jesus is the key to life. And finally, the way we wait well is we keep encouraging each other. Looking, at, looking back at Anna, we saw that her joy, it spilled out into all her relationships. And who was it that Anna specifically shared the good news of Jesus with? Have another look at verse 38. As she shared it with those who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In other words, when Anna was so full of joy at the news of Jesus... Her gut instinct was to rejoice with God's people and to share that good news with people like her and Simeon who were faithfully waiting on God's promises. It sounds a bit like church, don't you reckon? Uh, together, we meet each week. And while for most of us, we don't learn about that Jesus is our saviour for the first time, we keep reminding each other of this. We keep rejoicing in this. And what's more, we need each other. You guys need each other. Last year, you worked through the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 10, we're told this. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good deeds, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In the highs and lows of life, it can be hard to keep our eyes on our eternal hope. You know, in the, in the good moments, we can become complacent and distracted. In the hard moments, we can be discouraged. And so in God's kindness, he gives us each other. He gives us each other to keep encouraging one another, to keep each other following Jesus, looking towards that great hope. Uh, I reckon I've had the privilege of preaching here maybe three or four times in the last year, and it, each time it's been a great joy to be here. I love this community because I just think, you guys are from all different walks of life, 
and yet you come together. Jesus is the one who brings you together. And from what I can tell, you guys love each other. You love Jesus and you love each other and you keep caring for each other. You keep encouraging each other. So thanks, thanks for having me here. It's always a joy. That's why I say keep going. I keep making each other a priority. Keep doing those little things each week like going to your gospel teams, rocking up to church. We've been reminded today, this world, it's not our home. We've got an eternal hope, but it's not in this life, it's in the life to come. It's a hope that is firmly secure in our risen saviour, Jesus. And as we keep our eyes on this hope, it shapes everything we do now. So in this coming year, how will you wait well for Jesus? Jesus.